Hey guys, welcome to the Moments of Joy podcast. My name is Camille Joy and I'm your host. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming back again and experiencing the joy here on this show. Today, we have what I would like to call a heavy hitter testimony. Oh my goodness, this story has so many different levels to it and it is so um so exposing and so, you know, powerful in the way in which it shows the power of God, the healing power of God, that after one individual can go through so many things, how could they possibly still be standing? And how could they possibly still be talking about the goodness of the Lord? So today I have a powerful young woman by the name of Rosa Smith Hill, and she is going to share her life's story with us. You ready? All right, let's hit the show. Welcome to the Moments of Joy podcast. Let's go. I need the joy, the joy of the Lord in my heart. I need to make an exchange. Mm, my day even starts. Let your light shine. are so excited to have today Rosa Smith-Hill. Welcome to the show, Rosa. Good morning. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, I had the honor of meeting Rosa uh, this summer and just hearing a snippet of her story. And as I always share on the podcast, this is a God-led podcast and God picks every guest to come on the show. So today we are in for a special treat as she pours out her experiences in order to encourage you. So again, Rosa, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. And so um, at, on this show, we kind of always, I kind of just have our guests start from the beginning. I believe that, you know, a lot happens in childhood and a lot of times what we go through, the majority of it happens before we turn 18 years old. And so I want mm -hmm. to just start um, the listeners with their story of um, your childhood. So can you just speak to us a little bit about how you grew up in your childhood? Okay. Um, well, I, I grew up in a household that was primarily led by my mom. Um, when I was very young, maybe a little bit before nine, I didn't realize that my dad was in prison. Um, I don't. I have a lot of memories of him being around before that, but I don't. I don't remember what happened. And still, as an adult, I don't remember how he ended up in prison. I just remember him being gone for a long period of time. Um, it's my, it's me, my sister, and my brother. They're twins, and they're a little bit younger than me. And those are the only three children that my mom had. Mm -hmm. And I just remember her being very. I don't know, uh, down a lot. My, my brother is cerebral so he's handicapped from birth. Both him and my mm -hmm. sister were born with water in their brains, and it caused a lot of physical uh, stuff. My brother took the majority of it, and my sister, so she had some complications. Um, she came through uh, a lot better than he did. Uh, me being the oldest, 
I just remember them not being around a lot originally until maybe I was like five. They had come home officially at like two or three. Oh, so wow. I just remember a lot of doctor's visits, a lot of, you know, and all this time I don't remember having my dad around too much at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom would pack my sister, brother and I up and she would take us to go see him. Mm-hmm. Um, what if I could remember at the time was in jail, but now that I'm older, I, re- I realized that it was not in jail, it was in a mental institution where my dad oh, was. Wow. So um, that's my earliest memories. Um, around nine, my dad came home mm-hmm. and I remember just, being excited. I I will not, I'll never forget the day I came home from school and my uncle who would usually meet us, my dad's brother who would usually meet us at the bus stop, my sister and I, um, I remember him saying to us as he would walk up that uh, hill, we grew up in the projects of New Britain, Connecticut. Okay. And he would walk up that hill and he's, he's jingling in his pockets. What he, he would always give us like a quarter or something after school. And he says, I got a surprise for you. And as we're walking back to the house, um, he just keep, he's he's filling our, our he's filling us with anticipation. And when I walked through the door, I remember seeing my dad on the couch, mm-hmm. and I was excited. I mean, like any little girl should be, you know. I was excited. I see. I know this face. This face looks just like my own. And I'm I remember running to him, and and that just being one of the happiest memories. My dad is home, and 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 everything changed after that. Um, I didn't realize at the time wanting, you know, it's been nine years. It's been many years for me since I've seen my dad. Don't really, don't really know what it looked, never knew what it like, what was like to live with him Mm -hmm. because by maybe 13, I realized that my mom wasn't his only woman. My mother's never been my father's wife. Wow. My father actually had several relationships Mm -hmm. he's a lot older than my mom I think about 16 years so Mm -hmm. he had a lot going on Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and what I do remember is uh, my mom having some conflict you know don't bring my daughter over such and such house and Mm -hmm. stuff like that after my dad came home a lot of things changed Mm -hmm. and one of the things that changed was he he began at the time I didn't realize that this wasn't what it was supposed to be. Uh-huh. I just knew that my dad was showing me affection that I'd never had. Right. You know, from a man. My mom didn't we didn't stay around many men. I mean she had brothers, they were uncles, but a lot of my uncles on my mother's side were either in the army or my youngest uncle who was still in high school. So we didn't really have a lot of male. My mother wasn't the type of woman to have men in and out the house. That just wasn't who she was, you know? And so we didn't have a lot of men around. So to have the affection of my dad was what I wanted. You know, I just, I I didn't even know what it was like. Not, you know what I'm saying? Like I I can't remember at the time, just, I just knew that I loved my dad. You know what I mean? So when he started to ask me to, um, take baths with him. I thought that's what girls did with their dads. Right, right. Yeah. You know, not not at all thinking that this was something that wasn't supposed to be it. Now, those baths led to some very uncomfortable stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, at nine, mm-hmm. and this is my dad, what do you, who do you tell this is uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking 
this is just maybe you know I didn't have them before and maybe I gotta kind of get used to this but mm-hmm. the bath led to a lot of touching mm-hmm. you know so from nine to maybe 13 mm-hmm. 12 13 mm-hmm. I had this experience often mm-hmm. so much so that the uncomfortability of it made me like my mom used to go to bingo like I could say she went to bingo religiously wow. and she went literally Monday through Sunday mm. and every day from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. she was out of the house mm. so I remember being maybe like 9 10 11 begging her take me with you because I knew when she had gone out the door what was ready what was waiting for me right 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 mm-hmm. and Never once did she catch on to it, you know? Yeah. I wasn't, I, I, I think after that, being that I was a very smart kid, I, I was very intelligent academically. I, I skipped a couple grades between 9, 10, 11, 12. Mm-hmm. I ended up in high school very early. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my mother always thought like I was just very sassy. Right. If that makes any sense. So she would just ignore my pleas, like, girl, you, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not really taking the time to realize that there was something else happening. And because I was so confused about it, I didn't know that what was happening wasn't supposed to be happening. Right. You know, um, before you continue, I just want to commend you for um, sharing this kind of story and just um you know pouring out your heart and your and your experiences because I know that it's not easy but it's so powerful um you know I've had um, uh, close to 30 something um guests and this is the first time that we're hearing about incest and we're hearing about a dad touching their daughter so um I know that there's somebody else out there that can relate. So I just thank you for pouring out uh, before you continue. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It it, it is not easy. It's not easy. Uh My intention for sharing with all of what God would allow me to is so so that somebody else, I know that there are other people who have gone through. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to realize that I wasn't alone, but I know. And a lot of the things that happened, like after between nine and 13, I tell you, I went through so many different changes. My body had went through so many different changes. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually went from just touching to actual intercourse by 13 years old. Wow. And wow. Um, it, it, it took such a toll on me mentally and emotionally that yes. I could remember my earliest memory of trying to escape my reality mm was drugs. And I picked those up by 10 years old. I was already smoking marijuana. Wow. By 11 years old, I was already um, dabbling in cocaine. Wow. So Jesus, it was very difficult. I mean, by 13, where I entered into high school, I'm actually, I was in the 10th grade at the time. I was 13 years old. My mom was under the impression that I had an eating disorder. And little did she know is that I didn't have an appetite because half of my days were, I was so high. Mm. I couldn't put anything in my system. Mm. I was trying to stay numb because not only was all of this uh, very difficult for me to deal with, but my father 
actually, I, in an attempt to hide some of the things that was happening, mm-hmm. he he became very abusive. Mm. So not just me, but to my mom. I mean, he just, he was very abused. My father is from the South, again, being 16 years older than my mother. Mm-hmm. He had already had a life before, mm-hmm. almost before she was born, you right. know? So, and being that he was in several relationships, you can just imagine what that looked like. Absolutely. Um, her being upset, him being at other people's houses. And, mm-hmm. you know, he had another, I have a sister who's only four months younger than me. Wow. From mm-hmm. a different woman. Mm-hmm. And I can remember her being around the whole entire, you know, my whole life. So mm-hmm. this is the stuff my mom had to deal with on top of having a, cerebral, a, a son who was cerebroplegic. Yeah. Incapacity. He could not walk. He could not talk. Wow. Um, and she raised him at home. So he's never been in a facility. We always kept my brother at home. My sister's struggling because though she didn't have the physical abnormalities, she mm-hmm. exhibited some mental um deficiency she was a little bit slower than most kids mm-hmm. so my mom uh, on top of dealing with all of that I, I i became i guess an overachiever so okay. i worked harder in school I, I i was very numb most of the time so i don't know i guess i, I focused my energies into schoolwork to kind of escape some of the things that was happening to me at home. The school was the only place that I got to myself because I knew once I got off that bus mm-hmm. to go home, the dynamics of my life would change. Mind you, I would get out of school at two o'clock. My mother would be gone every day at five. So only for three hours did I have some kind of solace that, but most of that time my father was either working or out of the house. Mm-hmm. So, th- and this is, went on from nine years old to 13. I remember that year before I went to 10th grade, I got pregnant. And as a result of, of just being a a overachiever, then skipping me from Mm -hmm. Greece, my mother took me with her on vacation to Florida, you know, and I will never forget it because I had my first miscarriage there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I, I couldn't tell her about it. I just remember being on vacation. She'd be like, I was in so much pain getting off that bus. I, I had, my legs were swollen. Again, I'm 13 years old and I'm pregnant. I didn't know. I had no idea that this was the case. And my body, I'm so young. I was always, I'm I'm tall and I was always very slim. So my body had took a lot of things that it really wasn't supposed to take at that age. Absolutely. With the, with the abuse, with the drug abuse Mm -hmm. that had got excessive uh, by then, it was just a lot going on. Now, when you were pregnant, were you pregnant by your dad? Yes. Wow. wow. I, I lost my virginity to my dad. Right. Yes. And I mean, I remember having that miscarriage mm-hmm. and, and calling him and telling him something's happening. Mm-hmm. And I remember him telling me if I told her mm-hmm. or anybody, because mind you, I'm in Florida at the time. My right. sister and my brother are home with my dad. I'm in Florida at the time terrified because in my mind I'm asking myself is this is this happening to my sister now that I'm gone right. like what is happening mm-hmm. at home and now I'm dealing with this right. I had enough sense to call him without sharing anything with my mom right. and the only comfort he gave me in this as, as I'm telling him it, he threatened me he told me if I told my mother or any of my relatives in Florida what was happening to me that he would kill my sister and my brother mm. at home. Wow. Wow. 
after that summer vacation going into the 10th grade, mind you, I got pregnant again right. and I had a tubal pregnancy right before school started. I remember I missed the first couple months of school because I had this pregnancy. You know, when I ended up in the hospital, it was a holiday. I remember a cookout and I just went, I was in a lot of pain. He ended up taking me to the emergency room and the entire time that we're there, he's taking control of the conversations with the doctors. He mm. never left me in the room alone mm. and I'm being threatened the whole time. You know, I, I somehow or another after they realized what was happening to this child. And I don't know mm. if the laws of DCF was different at the time because uh, I still uh-huh. can't understand right. how I can, I ended up in that situation. Maybe it was because it was my parent that was there, mm-hmm. you know, and because yeah. he had done all the talking, right. maybe there was a way that he convinced them that this was, you know, right. Right. You know, I don't know. All I know is I remember being in that situation and him threatening me about, I, I mean, he used to say that he'd kill my grandmother who I loved dearly, my mom's mom. I mean, every time it Jesus. came to that point, Yes. I would get threatened with one thing or another. And so mm-hmm. I kept a lot of that on the inside. I did not tell anyone. I I I remember when the the mail came to the house about the receipt from the doctors. My mom woke me up early one morning and she says to me, "What is this?" Right. And I'm looking at her like, "What what am I supposed to say?" Right. You know, in this moment, I didn't know if this was an opportunity to get free or right. is this going to make things worse? Again, my father being violent, I've watched her bring up things, you know, for her own concerns and get beat Uh up for it. Right. So now I'm stuck in this moment. Like, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And so to keep the confrontation at a minimum, I made a lie up. And that lie caused my mom to look at me differently Mm -hmm. than she'd ever looked at me before. Mm -hmm. And everything changed after that, Mm -hmm. you know her her daughter who was like this overachiever kid um from that time i just she hated me Mm -hmm. oh you think you're grown you're fast this this, that and the third i mean it was it was horrible i i I remember running away at 13 for a couple of months my grandfather who could not stand my mom's dad who could not stand my dad but they were almost the same age so it was really difficult for yeah for them you know, my, my grandfather was terrified of my dad, but mm-hmm. he hid me in his house for almost two months mm-hmm. with the comfort that if he come here, I'll take care of him, you know? So I was there and I was safe, but I still wasn't safe enough to tell my grandfather what was happening, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? So I kept that secret. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, it didn't stop. Had none of this stopped. I ended up going back home because again, school had become very important to me and I knew that if I went to school, they would find me. Right. So it was like, what are you going to do, Rosa? Mm-hmm. Again, I, I just mm-hmm. want to point out there all this time, I'm a child. Right. With nowhere to go. Yes, Nobody's are. caught on to this. I have aunts and uncles, nobody. And if they did, they were also terrified of my dad uh-huh. because of his personality. You know, he was very respected in the city that we live in mm-hmm. and no one was willing to address it address the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I had aunts from my father's side, my father's sisters, who every now and again would, the only God that I knew at the time is the God that they would come get us maybe on Christmas or Easter and they would take us to their churches yes. and, you know, dress us up real fancy and take us to their churches. And that was limited 
when my dad came home because he he did he either he had known about God before and mm-hmm. this wasn't something he wanted anymore. But he right. when he found out we were being taken to church, I remember him just being angry mm. and telling my aunt, Don't ever, I don't ever want these kids, you know, I don't want my girls not just the way it was the way that it was. So I didn't have a God. I didn't right. you know, I didn't have a you know, a, a truth in my life. The only truth that I knew was the truth that I lived. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, you know, <laughs> that's amazing um, in itself, just that amount of trauma at that age. And and just knowing that, you know, as we just, we, we may go just in a normal place, like the grocery store or, you know, teachers that have children in their class or after school programs, you just never know what these children are dealing with. Mm-hmm because this is an unspoken thing. So it, it, it is very common. Molestation is very common. Um, just about every single podcast guest that I have had has been molested. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very common. And I think this particular thing is just something that is not spoken of. You know, even as people heal, it's a difficult thing to expose your parent. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So... Um, so that is just um just an eye opener and so um so you get past 13 years old and and now you're you're in high school what well, what were your high school years like well that's when i realized things weren't what supposed to be the way that they were you know now i'm i have friends i have people in my life i was very like again i was a, a kind of overachiever academically. So I had a lot of older friends. Mm-hmm. I had been skipped up some grades. So now they're living very differently. I was around the drug scene. So I had, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of, I, I had more information than I needed for my age. Right. A lot of the people that I hung around at the time didn't even know my age because I was always a lot taller than most of my friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had I've always been, you know, what I'm some kids that people say, well, they must have been here before. Yeah. Like I always had a, <laughs> a, a, a maturity about me that, you know, was a little different than my peers at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being in a health class one day and I can't remember the name of it, but we're, we're learning about our bodies. And it was just this, this typical, this story about a young girl who had sued her parents mm-hmm. because of abuse. Mm-hmm. And, I'm watching this video and I'm saying some of the things that happened to this girl are happening to me right now. And I'm looking at this child and I'm saying to myself, Oh, you you ever felt like you have this big red stain on your white shirt and everybody's looking at you. That's how I felt in that moment. (laughs) I felt like that in that moment, though there was no white shirt, there was no stain. Mm -hmm. I felt dirty. Right on top of all the other things that I had gone through prior to that moment, Mm -hmm. that was the first time I experienced shame Mm -hmm. and it didn't come a little bit. It came like a lot. Mm. And that's when I started to hide. Everything about me changed. Mm -hmm. I did not want nobody to know what was happening. Not, 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 not the the threats didn't matter anymore. I didn't want to be revealed. I didn't want to, nobody to look at me like the girl who's sleeping with her dad. You know what I mean? Like, yes, yes. it was, 
it was crazy for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I had my friends, I had young, you know, I got friends and even relatives who have um, young parents, teenage moms, but they were all pregnant by, you know, their boyfriend, yeah, yeah, not their yeah. dad. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so it was just like, how, how do you sit in a group of your friends and they're talking about their relationships and you know that you can't even share this conversation because the only sexual activity you ever experience is with your father. Wow. You know? Wow. Absolutely. So then the lies began. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I just started to make up all kind of stuff. I, by 16, I was a chameleon. I, I, I wore a mask at home. I wore another mask at school. I wore another mask for uh, my sports activities, another mask for my grandparents. Another, you know, it was just mm-hmm. crazy. You know, at home, I wore diff- several masks in the house because I had to wear one for my dad, one for my mom, one for my sister, who was growing up two years younger than me. And I was doing everything I could to make sure what was happening to me was not going to happen to her. Right. You yeah. know, yeah. so I have all of these responsibilities and I'm not even 16 years old yet. Yeah. And and what do you do with them? Right. Right. Not to mention uh, now I'm addicted to marijuana and cocaine. Oh, and nobody knows. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have, mm-hmm. um, I learned how to get what I needed. Uh-huh. uh-huh. You know, what I wanted. Right. What I thought I wanted for a 16-year-old, you know. Right. Because then now you're, and, still, you're still in the project, so that it's easy access. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And even the people who hadn't, uh, you know, there had to be some adults around me who mm-hmm. could figure that this was happening, who right. who might have had an inclination because the way my father expressed, like he kept me under him. Mm-hmm. When I was at home, I was under him. You know, kids, we were, my sister and I were the kind of kids, like we couldn't have company without his notice. We couldn't have people on our porch. You understand what I'm saying? So everything we did, we had to sneak and do. People knew who he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even the older men around project that I live in that were older than me, rather, they might not have been his age, but they were older than me. Mm-hmm. They begin to come on to me. Right. And the sick part of my head now mm-hmm. is like, well, I can get what I want now because I'm addicted to drugs. I got to get them somewhere. My mom and dad don't know I'm doing them. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so now I've learned to get what I need. And this was the way I learned to do it. So right. now, not only am I being abused by, um, in my house, I'm also abusing myself. Right. Wow. You know? Yeah. And the shame gets, the guilt, the shame, the, it grows, intensifies until it's too much. I, I, I kind of numbed out. Now, outside of me using men, I have, I, I didn't. When I got to be like 18, 16, between 16 and 18, I didn't have, want to have a relationship with a man. So I started having a relationship with girls. Mm. Wow. So now then, now everybody in my world thinks I'm gay. Yeah. Because they've never seen me with a boy. Uh-huh. You know? Mm. And now, I, again, another mask. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm trying to wear all of these different masks. And underneath it all, I don't know who Rosa is. I have no idea who the girl who's supposed to be, who she even is under there. Right. And then by 
18, you know, I left my house at 16. I ran away for good. I had graduated high school that year uh-huh. and my father was still treating me like a child. Uh-huh. My sister, you know, my, my stepsister who would come over every now and again, you know, she was, te- you know, she had a different freedom. Her mother was a little older, you know, so she lived very differently than us. And sometimes she'd just be like, why is he making you stay in the house? You know, no, you need to get out. So after I graduated high school, I was like, I'm not doing this no more. And mm-hmm. some friends got together and they, they came and they packed me up while they weren't home and I ran away. Oh, wow. That was it. Mm. Yep. Enough was enough. Yeah. I could take no more. So, Wow. Oh, child. So before we started this podcast, I told you I heard the Lord say power in this story. And now I'm just sitting here with my mouth wide open. Wow. Wow. So many levels. And the and the powerful part to it, and I know you're not done, but the powerful part to it is just where you are today. Just healed and delivered. <laughs> and you know, oh right. my goodness. There's so many levels. And so, um, so now you're, you're out of high school, you're growing up. Um, how, how does this young woman adjust to all the hurt and the pain that she's been through? I don't, I don't know if the young woman ever adjusted to it. I think at some point it just, it just began to consume me. Mm-hmm. And and then I became this toxic. Mm-hmm. The only way I think I ever attained any kind of freedom is I had to be honest with myself. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of stuff that had happened to me at home that I could have used to justify myself with a lot of the things that I had done. Mm-hmm. But I caused myself more damage than anybody else has caused me. Mm-hmm. After I left home at 16, I ran away. I ended up with some drug dealers. Mm-hmm. I was just, you know, I, mind you, I was a high school graduate. You know, right. I did have a little part-time job, so I wasn't dumb. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I had learned how to manipulate, how to uh, pretty much get anything I needed or wanted. Mm-hmm. And I was attractive, right. even though I didn't feel like it most of the time. Um, it got to the point where even it's sad, but even like my, my dad's friends who he thought were his friends end up being my sugar daddies. Wow. Yeah. And it was disgusting. I think back to how disgusting that was, but it was my truth. I started selling drugs. I was a stripper for a little while. I was in the gay community. I mean, anything that I needed to survive, I did. And I, it was scary because I did it well. Mm-hmm. You know, I was good. I had money. I had, I had things that I thought were making me happy, but I was not happy. Wow. I was angry. I was hateful. Mm-hmm. I was filled with all kinds of rage. Mm-hmm. I, 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 and none of that stopped. I, I ended up meeting a young man who was very much like my dad in many ways. But because he was strong and he would protect me while I was on the streets, I ended up staying with him. And that's how I had my children okay. that I was told many, many years ago at 13, when I had the tubal pregnancy, that it was 85% chance I'd never have a child ever. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the way I lived my life, I did with this understanding. I ain't never going to have kids this way. I can't have kids. So mm-hmm. yeah. when I got pregnant the first time, you know, after being out of my, my mom's house, I was like, what is this? Mm. this is you know it it began to change you right but the the young man that I was 
pregnant by, he was probably just as toxic as I was. Mm -hmm. And we would fight physically most of the time because, mind you, the world around me, my friends knew me as being a a gay woman. Right. So I would be sneaking with this boy and literally telling him that. I'm not going to claim you. I don't don't want people to know we're together. And somewhere in his mind, he wanted me. And I think getting me pregnant was his way of pulling me out of that Mm -hmm. dark into the light. Like, right. you know, showing people this is who, who she really is. Mm-hmm. And it was, I, I'm giving you the very mild version of these experiences yeah. for the sake yeah. of time, but yeah. uh, nothing in my life changed until I had my first son. Okay. Who um, was supposed to be a twin, but unfortunately, because of a lot of fighting that I was in with his father, I lost one of them and it gave birth to my first son. Mm-hmm. And while I was pregnant with him, I was so high at times. I didn't even know this kid was alive. And I, I've been pregnant multiple times and yeah. I don't even know what it feels like to be pregnant because I've yeah. been high on one drug or another. Like I've mm-hmm. experienced, I have two live births. Mm-hmm. And if I had to be honest with you, sometimes I would sit and cry because I have no idea what it feels like to be pregnant. Right. I don't know what it feels like to have a child being in your womb. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know? And by the time I had my second son, my body had been through so much trauma mm-hmm. that, I couldn't hold him. He, I had to have him induced early because my pelvic bone was cracking. Wow. And so they had to get him out. Uh-huh. And, and it, after I had my kids, I ended up continuing the lifestyle. Like the, the children didn't change me. Mm-hmm. And they were just now these human beings that I would look at. And I thank God that I had sons because I don't know what I would have did if I had a daughter. I don't yeah. think I could have made it because... I would have been terrified every day of her life right. that she would go through something like I went through. Mm-hmm. And so the lifestyle that I was leading at the time ended up me and I ended up in prison. Okay. And it wasn't until I ended up in prison that I realized that there were help. There was help out there mm-hmm. for people like me. Wow. And that help for me um, came in the form of, a sexual assault group. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that they kept talking about in this group that I could not understand was God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And especially when they would say Father God, I would right. be like, I don't want to hear that. I can't. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's not going to work for me. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. if he was such a good father, how uh-huh. and why and, you know, right. at what point did he not think it was okay for me to, you know, Mm-hmm. for people to do you know x y and z and that was what i carried for a very very long time so i wanted this change i wanted to be different but i couldn't get past that yeah. at all yeah it wasn't until i had gotten out of prison i tried to calm down my life did change a little bit because now i am a mom i have my kids and my sister one of her friends um had run away from home and because I was the, you know, cool one out the house with kids, I got my own place. My sister brought it to my house. I didn't know at the time that her father was a pastor. Mm. So her father tracked me down and <laughs> he just wanted to know who was yeah. this woman my daughter was staying with. I need to right. know. I mean, I can't get her back home, but at least I want to know where she lives, mm-hmm. where she stays. And because I, for the first time, found a father who cared about his child, mm-hmm. I was like, this, this is Okay, sure. Right. Why not? 
you know, come. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, you could see where she sleeps at. You're concerned? Right. I don't even know what that looks like, but right. sure. Right. And the man came to my house, and I, I remember I was at a third floor apartment, a little attic apartment in New Britain. Mm-hmm. And he came in, and he looked around, and he seen where his daughter sleep at, and he just started crying. He was like, if there's anything you can do, just send my baby home, you know? Mm-hmm. And before he left out the door, he started to share his his experience with me. And he told me about this Jesus guy mm-hmm. who, you know, he was a pastor. And then he started to tell me about me. Yeah, wow. Wow. And that was the first time I've ever heard a prophetic word. Didn't know that what it was, but yes. this man said to me, I know you're hurting. Jeez. I know that there are people in your life who, and he went on, and all I could remember at the time was being so I felt so exposed mm. that I didn't know what to do. I wanted to run. I wanted to hide. I did not. Why? Mm. Could, why? How can you see this? Right. Right. And before he left my house that day, he asked me if I wanted to know Jesus better. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to know this man who just told me everything because he only knew because Jesus told him. Uh-huh. This is what he was explaining to me. And at the time, I had also picked up, <clears throat> I had found out I had cancer. I had ovarian cancer. And that's how I knew he knew because that's what he said to me. He Mm -hmm. said to me, if you want to be healed, he can, he will. You just have to let him into your heart. And he asked me if I wanted to receive him. So he said the sinner's prayer with me in that moment. And and he laid hands on my stomach and I felt a power like I had never in my life. And I ended up on the floor Mm. and did not know how I got there. It was just, and I, I think I cried for days. Mm. after this man left oh gosh wow and I finally mm. told the young lady um that her father was there and I did everything I could to encourage her to go home because she had a love I'd never had yeah. and I did not want her to miss out on that because she was angry wanting to be like her friends you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so when I when I finally convinced her to go home um her father came back to thank me and he invited me to a church service. Mm-hmm. I walked in the door. I sat in the back. There was a guest preacher from South Carolina or something there. Um, it was a little church on the east side of New Britain called True Vine. Mm-hmm. And I, he, the man of God who had come, I can't remember his name, but all I remember is sitting back in that, the furthest pew in the back and the young lady realized I was there so she came to sit with me so it's mm-hmm. me her and my children mm-hmm. sitting there and by the end of the service that preacher the guest preacher called me to the front mm-hmm. and when he called me to the front he too started to speak to me about things there was no way he could have known no mm-hmm. way yeah. he could have known you know the power and, of prophetic man uh, and he said to me remember. even with your illness Yes. He said, even with your illness, he said, God, he said, God can heal it right now if you will have faith and believe. Yes. You just have faith and believe, and he will heal it right now. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to put my hands up, and he said, do you believe? And I said, I want to. Yes. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and he, by the t- end of that conversation, he said to me that God had chosen me to break generational curses. Mm. in my family on yeah. both sides of my family your mother's side your father's side and he's going on about it with this language i don't know what he's saying to me i'm like what is first of all what is a generational curse right so, right why me right right mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and 
I left that experience just like, I can't even say I was relieved. I think I had a new weight because I had this, I had this revelation with no understanding. And I'm like, well, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And I still was dabbling in drugs and stuff at the time. Mm -hmm. So my sister would come babysit for me. Mm-hmm. And I would leave at night because I wanted to be with my kids during the daytime. So I would leave at night, never been able to sleep because a lot of the things that happened to me happened to me at night. Right. So wow. I ended up a somniac. So I used to just stay up most nights and I was in a drug house at the time. And I don't know what ended up happening to me, but I ended up blacking out. And when I blacked out at the time, I thought I was having an overdose mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. But in this moment... I experienced something that I've never even thought about before. Mm. And I remember it being dark and it being scary and me being alone and not knowing what was happening. I didn't know if I was awake or if I was asleep, Mm. but all I could hear was this voice say to me, if you take my hand, you'll live. Mm. And I didn't even know if I wanted to live at that moment, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I, I didn't know if this was my opportunity to let go Mm-hmm. or, you know, what What was this happening to me? Mm-hmm. But before I knew it, I had reached out for that hand. I came to, and the next thing I know, I was at my apartment. Mm-hmm. I don't remember right now how I got from the drug house that was on the other side of town all the way to my apartment. Right. Mm-hmm. But when I walked up the stairs, my youngest son was up looking at me like he had been waiting for me all night. And prior to that, I hadn't touched this boy since the day I gave birth to him, because even that was traumatic. That's a whole nother story. But when I picked up that baby who had looked like he'd been waiting for me all night, I sat in front of the TV and I cried. I cried and I cried. I did not know what this experience was. I just had, I turned on my TV. And I don't know if you remember at late night, BET would always have like Peter pop off and Uh um, Uh the preachers that would come on. Well, there was this one preacher and his name is Robert Tilton. And I remember sitting in front of my TV, Camille, and him saying, there's a woman watching me right now, a very wow. young woman. She's addicted to drugs and she's holding a baby. Mm, mm, mm. Wow. And I'm, stand, I'm sitting there, you got to be crazy. Uh-huh. This is not happening to me. <laughs> what is going on? Yes. And, and he's going, he says, you're hurting and God has heard your cries. Mm. And he's saying, if you take your hand and you put your hand on mine as an act of faith, he yes. says, he will never leave you. I'll never say, he said, he will come to you. And he's saying, going on and on and on and on and on and on. And he will show you a love like never before. And all you got to do is take this, take my hand. Mm. Now, mind you, I told you just a, maybe yeah. an hour or two ago, that's the same thing I heard. The yeah. last thing I can remember. Absolutely. And, and I put my hand on his hand mm-hmm. on that TV screen. Yes. And my life has never been the same. Wow. Yes. One way or another, God has revealed himself to me. And again, there's so much more to that story. But mm-hmm. from that moment, mm-hmm. God has been revealing himself to me right. more and more and a greater level of love every day. Mm-hmm. It didn't get, it didn't, my circumstances didn't change dramatically, mm-hmm. but little by little, I was changing. Yeah. And every experience that I've had since then has changed me mm-hmm. to know him more and more and to start to really believe the love mm-hmm. that he's had for me mm-hmm. and that he has for me. And the more that I receive that love, 
Right. The more love I receive for myself and things have changed dramatically. I'm telling you, this it had to be a, a podcast one, two, and three before I could get to the yes. real gist of how. Absolutely. Got that's it. the honest of God. That's the truth. Yes. I've been changing mm-hmm. every day since that day. Yes. And I, I, I couldn't go back if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, as I said before, there's so many layers to your story. So I am uh, 100% confident that people are just seeing themselves in in so many different parts of your story um, and don't know how to access the healing and access the freedom and deliverance. Um, Can you give instruction on how they can be free from the pain? You know what? The best thing that ever happened to me was I started to read that word for myself. There are promises in the word of God mm-hmm. that deal with the difference between the truth and the lie. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I could say to anybody listening who wants to be free, mm-hmm. the only way that you will ever receive anything from God is by faith. Mm-hmm. And we know that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I'm, 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 I'm talking about the kind of faith that if not in your world changes, you mm-hmm. still believe he can mm-hmm. and he will. Mm-hmm. He will. He will change your heart even if your circumstances don't change. He will change you. I used to wonder in the word of God how how they could, how, like in the New Testament, Paul could refer to slaves and say, even with your slave masters, be good, be kind yeah, to people yeah. who literally have people who deliberately or stuff like bless your enemies, mm-hmm. bless those who curse you. Mm-hmm. I know how that's possible now right. because it's supernatural. Mm-hmm. When you are willing, mm-hmm. he will make a way mm-hmm. and you won't even know how it happens, but it has to be received by faith. He said in his word that all things were possible to them that believe. Mm -hmm. And he meant it. Mm -hmm. Those are not just cliches. Mm -hmm. It's the truth versus the lie. I wish I can give you some, you know, beautiful cliche, you know, takeaway from this, but I will be telling you a lie. It's just showing up. That's not the truth. The truth Mm -hmm. is everything we receive from him, we do by faith. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And we stay like them, them Hebrew boys. Mm-hmm. Even if he d- didn't, I know he can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he will begin to do it. Mm-hmm. Romans eight twenty eight tells us that all things work together. I've had people ask me, how do you still, how do you love God? How do you go so hard? You know, I have a nonprofit where I work with people in transition, homelessness, and coming out of incarceration. How do you hold on to that? How do you do this out of your own pocket? How, why, knowing what you've been through, mm-hmm. where was God then? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell them with a straight face, all things work together yes. for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not mine. Yes. Yes. And, and you just share that you work with women. Um, I want to talk about Rosa now. Who is Rosa now? Who are you? What are you doing here? Well, Rosa is the CEO and founder of Reality Outreach Incorporated. Mm-hmm. She has committed her life to helping people live the realities of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that reality looks like, even if they're not a believer, I, shining my light in front of them so that they can see the good work and glorify God. I work with women and men in transition, people who have come from the dark to the light. If they were incarcerated, they're looking for stability. We have referrals and resources that allow them 
to be connected to the stability that they need. I have become a recovery support specialist, a recovery coach, to tell people who have been bound by drugs that there is freedom and there is a different way of life after that. I I just recently uh, received a doctorate in divinity because the word of God is more important to me than the air I breathe, girl, because I know without that word, nothing nothing changes, Mm -hmm. you know? And like I said, there's still so many ways to how that happened, how that got to that place. But the short version of it is I am delivered of the perverted mindset that God did not come to give us life and life more abundantly. You know, I have healing. I can't say that I'm healed, but I'm in a process of healing from the trauma, from the pain. And there's so many different layers to that. Mm -hmm. I have a supernatural forgiveness that I can't believe. My father died in 2010 and like he he died he was very sick mm-hmm. and I took care of him mm-hmm. because it was right yes. you know because God had given me that supernatural ability to forgive him mm-hmm. and even if he didn't ask for it you know yes. even if he never admitted that what he was doing was wrong but because I knew God at the time mm-hmm. I could not do I couldn't treat him any less than you know the mercy that I've been given every day. Yes. yes. And so I cared for him before he died. I met a, a man in my life who God literally told me is his love made tangible for me named Patrick Hill. And wow. together we have made this organization and the, and the mission statement of it is to build and rebuild families according to the design of God. And because of that, mission our families which are two blended families have come together and we've not it's not been perfect Mm -hmm. but we trust god to get us to the destination so that we can be a light unto others and tell them that it's possible if you believe it's possible yes you know Mm -hmm. wow well before we close i just i want to thank you again uh, for coming on and sharing this powerful story. Um, I know that it is going to, I feel like it's setting a fire to those that will listen, to those that have been through something and don't really know the Lord and haven't really given him a chance. I know that it's going to provoke a relationship. And um, and and that's what, you know, the Moments of Joy podcast is all about. Um, before we close, I just want you to give a, a special message to anyone that's listening that may see themselves in your story. Do you have any um, last words for them of encouragement? Yes, I do. If you have listened for the last few minutes to anything that I've said and you're sitting there and you're hurting and you're in pain and you're filled with so much shame and you don't think that you'll ever come out of it, I want to tell you that you can, that there is a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. And he will, he, every promise that he made in his word to never leave you or forsake what he meant, he will bring, he literally will walk with you hand by hand. And if you can't see him tangibly, he will send you people. Be open. Be open to the people that God will send you. Try to trust, even though you've been hurt and you feel like you have no need to. I have a motto I tell my kids. If you are willing, God will make a way. Yes. Yep. 
That's true. And that's that's really all I, I can say. As long as you're willing to be open, willing to be honest, willing to receive, willing to love, willing to trust, willing to forgive, he'll make a way. That's it. He will do the rest. Mm-hmm. Well, Rosa, this is it. I thank you so much. How can um, the listeners get in touch with you if anyone wants to reach out to you to tell you how your story has impacted them? How can they reach out? Well, the easiest way is to find me on Facebook. Uh, you can look me up. It's Rosa Lee Smith Hill. It's hyphenated Smith Hill. Um, you can email me at reality outreach inc inc at gmail.com uh if you also go on facebook we have a page called reality outreach inc it'll bring you the latest updates of what we're doing um what i'm doing and i think that's that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me yeah great well i will post the links to your groups in in the description of the show and post your email so that they will be able to find you. And thank you again for just one, 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 one more, one more thing, Camille, Uh there is a group on Facebook for those of you who are still struggling, still in contemplation mode, don't know how to cross over. God asked me to create it a couple years back. It's called becoming a woman God's way. Uh It, it's on Facebook. It's an open public group. If you, if you feel like you want to get on it, get encouraged, be inspired, walk this journey with me as I learn to become a woman God's way and get the, the hint, the helpful hints that you need to get past that too. Please look that up as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And um, this is it. We thank you um, for releasing your story. I love you. I honor you. And this has been thank such you. a blessing to me. I am just so um touched and honored that you would just pour out yourself and your story on this show. Um, Our listeners come from all over, all around the world. Every time I check the statistics, I'm like, wow, who are these people listening? Well, we have 14,000 listeners a month. And so um, there's, there will be thousands that will be touched and God has brought your voice national because not national, international. We have listeners from Bermuda, mm. Turks and Caicos, Ireland that download every week, Canada, um, Mexico, Colombia, everywhere. So today, um, the world has been blessed by your story. So thank you, Rosa. You're welcome, honey. God, God be the glory. Yes. All righty. Bye bye. Take care. Wow. Didn't I tell you that that was going to be powerful? My goodness. I hope that everyone that listened today is encouraged. And I want to just say a special prayer for those that are listening. And this podcast has opened up, you know, the area in you that you've buried, that you are now, you know, ready and willing to allow God to heal you and bring you to a place of deliverance from that 
which has tried to bind you. So Father, I lift up my listeners today, God. I pray for healing, God. I pray that your healing power, God, your angels, Lord God, will go and meet them right where they are, Father. That we, this podcast, Lord God, will be like the TV show on which Rosa spoke about, God, that exposed all of who she was, God. That the individual that sees themselves in her story, Father God, would accept you into their heart, God. Hallelujah, God. I pray for healing. I pray for new life, God, in the name of Jesus, that they would be healed and freed, Father. Hallelujah, that they would have a deeper relationship with you, God. Those that don't know you, God, I pray that they would accept you today, God, into their heart, that they would choose to believe by faith, Lord God, that you sent your son to die on the cross for us, Lord God that we would have everlasting life with you, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord. So we thank you and we honor you. We worship you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, I don't want to leave you without doing that today. And I pray God that God will continue to overflow. The anointing will continue to meet you where you are, where you're listening, that your, your relationship with him will go to a deeper level or continue to blossom from this moment forward. All right, guys. Next week, I have another amazing young woman who will be on to share her story. I love you guys. And until we meet again, bye-bye. Ready to receive your joy.